Lee, Lee already mentioned this, but my brother and his wife is here with us this morning. My brother, Steve, Stephen and Jody, um, they're from southern Indiana. Uh, Stephen grew up in, in Chalmette with us, and his wife's from Indiana, and uh, they're in visiting with us this weekend. And um, uh, that's my twin brother. It's not, a, it's not a joke. We're actually twins. We're not, we're not identical twins, and I'm very thankful for that, that we're not. And, uh, you know, I always joke and tell people, you know, when we were in the womb, I took one look at Stephen, and I asked the Lord, I begged him, I said, Father, please don't let us be identical. <laughs> and, and guess what he did? He answered my prayer. <laughs> That's a shame. But if he was up here, he'd be saying worse things about me than that if he was standing up here. So, well, no, we've been having a lot of fun. They would say, he was first. He's, he's answered the throne about two minutes. <laughs> So it's a lot of fun, and um, I don't know Alex and Noah's twins, and I don't know if it's Noah, is Noah here? No. Okay, I wanted to get a picture with all of us, so it would be kind of fun to have two sets of twins, but we'll, he, he'll be back, he's leaving tomorrow. We'll be able to do that another time, and, um, but I know everybody gets a kick out of twins, and uh, Matt was mentioned, and he said he had met Stephen downstairs before he came up, and he knew right away that it was my brother because the way he talked. And I told him, I said, this is a true story. People used to call in at the house when we, when we were living in Chalmette. They would ask for one of the other brothers, and they, would, they could not believe that the one they were talking to wasn't the one they were asking for. And I remember one time someone called, and they thought I was, like, joking, like making up a joke. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not Stephen. But we, we, we sound alike. But we don't look alike. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, so, <laughs> y'all think I'm joking about that. I really mean that. I'm not, it's not, it's not, it's not. <laughs> And look, those gift bags downstairs, did y'all see those when y'all came in? Um, those bags, we had originally made those for one of our neighborhood outreaches that we did, and it got uh, rained out. We actually went to the subdivision that we had planned on distributing the bags, and it got rained out. So being the creative person that I am, I said, we need to repurpose the bags. And uh, so I brought them back out. Um, there's, a, there's a Bible in there. There's a Gideon Bible. Um, there's some candy in there. There's a little pamphlet about our information about our church, and there's a card, like a Christmas card, that's in like an invitation to invite someone to, to a, a Christmas service next Sunday. So um, when I go downstairs, I don't want to see any of those bags left on the table. I want them to be going. And so just take take one or two or three. I mean, we have enough people in here where everybody could get at least two of them. I think there's like 100 of them down there. So just on your way out, just grab a couple of them. You got a neighbor, you got a family member, somebody at work. Um, and, you know, just hand them, the, hand them the bag and just tell them this is a gift from, from our church and we, wanted, we just want to invite you to come to our service next Sunday here. So um, I think that would be a fun thing to do and to use the bag. So, so hallelujah. So as, we, uh, so as I start here this morning, um, I wanted to ask this question, does the world know the meaning of Christmas? Um, does the world really know the meaning of Christmas? And, um, you know, I have to say no, they don't. And, uh, you know, you, you all live in the world we live in. You shop in the places we shop at. You see the commercials, the TV, all the different things that, that happen around, Chris, around the Christmas season. And um, as a Christian, it's disheartening to see people so, you know, bustling and doing all the things that they're doing and not really knowing or understanding in their heart really what the true meaning of Christmas really is. And I just did a quick search on this, um, just in some statistics about Christmas, the Christmas season in America. It says the total spending on Christmas gifts in, in the United States this year alone will be $184 billion. 
That's just in America. This in one year, it says according to um to, to, to data research, the size of the Christmas lights and decorations market is seven point eight billion. So almost eight billion dollars is spent on Christmas decorations, and. I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong. I'm just giving you the statistics. It says while nearly half of U.S. adults, almost 50%, would describe their stress levels during the traditional U.S. holiday season between November and January as moderate, it says around two in five say that stress, that stress increases during this time compared uh, with other points in the year. And so when you look at just those two statistics, the stress level and the amount of money that people are spending during the Christmas season, that tells me that people really don't know what the true meaning of Christmas really is. Because that's not what it's about. And so if you look at the Bible, um, and and this is just a couple of verses, I could share a bunch of them. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So people are spending money on gifts, and it's not wrong to do that. I'm not, we do that. We, we, we exchange gifts. We, we give gifts. That, that's not wrong. But, but people are spending all this money trying to find the perfect gift to give to someone, not realizing the real meaning of Christmas is the gift of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that that gift is free. It doesn't cost, you know, $200 billion or whatever it is to get Jesus. The gift is free for, for, for us. And that's what the Bible says. Um, and then in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and we celebrate the Christmas season because of Jesus. That's what we say we're doing. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus Yet the statistics tells us that everybody's stress levels are going up, and Jesus said, I am the Prince of Peace. So why is everybody's stress level going up? Because they're not placing their peace in him. They're not finding their peace in Jesus Christ. They're finding it in everything else other than Jesus Christ. Jesus said it's not the peace that the world gives, it's the peace that he gives, and that can only be found in him. So I think it's important for us, obviously, as believers, you know, uh, when we celebrate Christmas, to know what the meaning of Christmas is. What is the true meaning of the, of, of the Christmas story? So um, today I'm going to continue a series I started last week in the book of Jonah. And um, it's the meaning of Christmas hidden in the book of Jonah. And um, last week's message was the, um, the message of Christmas. And it was in Jonah chapter 1. And many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah, the, the prophet Jonah in the Bible. And if you recall, the, uh, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah in the, 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 the Bible, in this book of Jonah, it says the Lord told Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, for the wickedness has risen up to heaven. God gave Jonah one task. He said, take the word that I'm giving you and go to this great city of Nineveh and preach the, pre- preach the word that I give you. Go speak this word to the, to the people of Nineveh. But what did Jonah do? He ran away from the Lord, the Bible says. He, he said he went, he went down to Joppa, and he, 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 boarded, he boarded a ship heading for Tarshish, and the Bible says he tried to flee from the, he, he tried to escape or tried to flee from the Lord. So if you read the story in Jonah chapter 1, um, they're, they're in the boat. The Bible says that the Lord, uh, the Lord caused a great wind to come. A, a severe wind came, a, a windstorm came, 
and the, the boat began to, 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 to rock in the, in the waves and to, to break up, and the sailors and all the guys in the, in the ship, they, they, they began to panic. Uh, they were throwing stuff overboard, whatever they could try to do to, to save the ship, and the, the story says that Jonah was down in the bottom of the boat, and he was sleeping, and the, I think it was the captain that came. One of the guys came to him and said, how can you sleep? like this in a, in a time that there's this great storm, get up, uh, get up here and pray to your God and perhaps he will, he will save us. And the story says no matter what they did, the storm, the storm grew more fierce. So it says they cast lots to find out who, who wasn't on the boat that was causing all of this, this bad weather like this. And after they cast the lots, they discovered that it was Jonah. And it's funny the way they said this. They looked at Jonah and they said, who are you? They said, where, where are you from? What people are you from? What, you know, they wanted to know, what, you know what, who was your God? All these different things. And Jonah said, I serve the God, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything that is seen. He, 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 he confessed to them that I'm the one, and he told them, I am the reason why this, this storm is happening. And um, they said, they said what, what we must do for this storm to end? And he said, all you need to do is pick me up and throw, and throw me overboard and the, and the the, wa the water will be calm. Every everything will be fine. Well, they were petrified. They didn't want to. They didn't want to do that. They tried, still tried to throw cargo. All the things that they could do, nothing happened. So the Bible says the men prayed to God that God would forgive them for what they were doing, and they they took Jonah, they tossed him overboard. And the, the story, I love this story. It says as soon as Jonah hit the water, the the, the sea grew calm. And I can just imagine the faces on these men when they seen that that what Jonah was saying was actually real. And um, so, and then we know, we, we, we know the story, and this is the part of the story where most of us remember, you know, what did God provide for Jonah when he landed in the water? There was a great fish, you know, some people say a whale, or it doesn't say a whale, it just says it was a big, or it was a, it was a great fish, and the Bible says that the Lord commanded the fish to, to, to was right there to swallow Jonah, and to, um, to, to take him in as soon as he hit the water. So, so but when we look at that, um, God gave Jonah a message to speak to Nineveh. And, and so what we covered last week, I'm just going to recap this real quick. Um, God's message is an urgent message. It was a message that God wanted Jonah to, that Jonah to go speak to the people of Nineveh. And God has given us, the church, an urgent message to speak. It's a message of salvation. It's, it's a message that must be proclaimed, that, that must be spoken, that must be spoken with urgency the Bible says that salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. That, that's what this church, that's what we preach. We do a lot of things, we do a lot of activities, but our main message when we speak into anybody is you must come to Jesus. You, you must get saved. Not, not join a church, not join a denomination, join a religion. Our, our, our message should always be we're trying to take the people in the world and get them connected to Jesus. That, that's our message. So just like Jonah had an urgent message, we have a, a message, and it's an, it's an urgent message, and, and there's no escaping the message of God. See, Jonah, Jonah thought that he could just run away from God and everything would be all right. And, and we're going to look at that the, the rest of this part of the rest of the story this, uh, this morning that there was no escaping that. We, we can't escape the word of God, the message that God has given us. It is a message of salvation, and it, must, and it must be preached. And then we see in the story of Jonah that God commands his creation to align with his message. He commanded the wind and the fish. And, and, and why, why did he do that? 
so that, so that Jonah would go to Nineveh and speak the word of God. God, God commands his creation to align with his, with his message. So um, the fish that the Lord provided was not only to save Jonah, but to save him so he might send him to Nineveh. It wasn't just to save Jonah from dying. It was to save Jonah so he would go to Nineveh and speak the word that God gave him to preach. So um, today's message, I'm going to primarily focus on chapter 3, but I'm going to look at a few of the verses in chapter 2. But today's message I titled The Call of Christmas. Last, last week's message was the message of Christmas. This one is the call of Christmas. And if you look at, read the Bible all the way back in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord's desire was for us to be reconciled back to him. And, and most people don't realize that. They think that God just hates the sinner. He's judging people who sin. But God's desire was always for us to be restored back to the place where Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden. That God wanted, that even though we sinned, that man was rebellious, that we rejected God, all the things that we do, God's deepest desire and his deepest longing is for his people that he's created to be in fellowship with him, to have a relationship with God. And I don't know about y'all, but that makes me feel pretty special, that God loves me so much that he wants, in spite of my sin, my nature, and all the rebellion that, that, that's in my heart, that God wants a relationship with me, that God, wants to, that God wants man to be reconciled back into himself, and um, that God wants a relationship with the people that he, that he created. The, uh, Jeremiah 24, 7, it says, I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Now look what it says there in verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me. God, God wants us to know him. People think, and I've said this before, that God's a distant God, that people use the phrase God's the man upstairs and, and he's this, this God that could care less about, about his creation. But the Bible paints a, a completely different story. That the Bible says that God wants to know us, that God wants a relationship with us, that that he wants to forgive us and love us and do all of these things. And right here says, I will give them a heart to know me, that, God, that, that, that we can know them. So, so he wants fellowship with us. He sin, separ sin separated us from him, but sin did not remove his desire to fellowship with us. Yes, sin separated us from God, but it never prevented God from wanting us back. God's desire was always for us to be reconciled back to him, even though we didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve to be loved and forgiven and all, and all the things that God, that God has done for us, but that, that was God's desire. So, so um, God, that, that, that did not prevent him from pursuing us and calling us back to himself. See, God is always pursuing the sinner. God is always calling us back to himself, that, that, that his desire is that we have a relationship with him, that, that, that we come back to, come back to God. That, that's the beautiful message. That's the, that's the Christmas story that God wants a relationship with his creation, that God wants to forgive us and to love us and do, and do all the things that he's, called, that he's given us in Christ Jesus. So as we continue this Jonah story, keep in the forefront of your mind that God wants communion with his people, that God wants a relationship with us, that God, that God wants to love us. So so I'm going to just cover just a few verses here in, uh, in Jonah chapter 2. 
And again, the story is fascinating. It's only four chapters, so I would, you know, ask all of y'all, if you've never read the story of Jonah, you know, maybe during the course of this series to, to go home and just, and if you have read it, read the book, go read it again. It's a lot of fun to read. It's only four chapters. But in chapter 2, verse 1, and, and listen to this. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now, if I was in that, I don't even know if he knew where he was. Did Jonah even know that he was in a fish? I, I would have got to think, I would have thought I was dead. And I said this last week, but Jonah, and Jonah didn't know that fish was going to be there. And I, I, I believe in all my heart that when Jonah said, throw me overboard, I believe in all my heart that Jonah believed he was going to die, that he was going to drown. I just, I, the Bible gives no indication whatsoever that Jonah knew that there was going to be this fish in the water waiting to swallow him up when he went overboard. So for all practical purposes, he thought that he was going to die. And then it says, from inside the fish, he prayed. And I got to think, we'd be praying too. We, 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 one thing we better be doing is thanking God that, that I don't know where I'm at or what happened here, but I'm alive. So we, we, we'd be pretty happy. And it says that, so just think about that, that Jonah's there and he knows that the reason why all this occurred is his rebellion. He was rebellious against God's command to go to, to one simple command. Just take the word that I've given you and go to Nineveh. That's all I'm asking you to do. And here's Jonah. He's, he's in this fish and he knows it's, it's, his, it's his rebellion that put him in that condition. But look what he said in verse 2. He, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And then there's a lot that we can learn from that. You know, we, we, we feel a lot of times that, you know, we get in situations where we feel distressed, we feel lonely, we feel like God's abandoned us, that the situation is so hard, I just don't think I can make this anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go. And Jonah here, he says, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I'm here to tell you, if you call to God, God will answer you. That's his promise. God, God doesn't just hear us. The Bible says that God answers us, that God will answer us. And that, that, that's such a beautiful thing there. It says, from the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened, and you listened to my cry. So so, so Jonah prayed to God, and God, list, God listened to him, and he answered his cry. And then in verses 8, and 10, 8 to 10 in chapter 2, it says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry ground. And so... We look at, and I said this last week too, I think, that we look at this story and a lot of people read stories like this or stories of when Moses parted the Red Sea and all these different events in the Bible and people just come to the conclusion that those stories are not true. I disagree with that. Amen. And why do I disagree with that? Because the Bible says that nothing is impossible for God. Yes. God can do anything. So if God said that he commanded a fish to swallow a man, and, the, and then he commanded the fish to once again to vomit that man back onto dry land. I believe that God did that. I don't, I, don't need a, I don't need a scientific explanation for someone to try to figure out and explain to me how was that possible. I don't need that. This is what the Bible says. So, so don't take the Bible and only say, well, I'm going to believe the parts that I can explain. It doesn't work like that. It's all true. All the Bible is true. So, so here we have this. So Jonah, Jonah is, is back, back onto to, to dry land. 
And then um, Jonah knew that, that, that salvation, rescue, and strength and his help came from the Lord. So again, we see God commanding his creation to align with his, desi his desire. He commanded the fish. You know, and there's other places in the Bible where God commanded creation to align with what it was that he was doing, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Th th those both occur. So, um, so we look at this. So, so now we're going to look at chapter 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did not, that when God saw that they what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He relented and did not bring on them the destruction He had threatened. And uh, what a what a beautiful story here. And uh, but you know, there's a big difference in chapter one and chapter and chapter three. Um, and the major difference is about the, the, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And look at verse 3. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. <laughs> now, but, that, that's, now, if he would have did that the first time, we, we wouldn't have had basically chapter 1. Right. In other words, it would have just been, just been a continuation of this, of this chapter here, and, we, and none, of that, none of that would have occurred. But, but it's amazing, you know, Jonah, you, if you went to fish like that, and, and you, you happen to live, you survive that, and God says again, go to the great city of Nineveh, what are you going to do? I'm going to obey God. And it says, this time there was no question. It says, Jonah obeyed God, and he went to Nineveh. And that, that's what I would have did, too. I would have I did the same thing. So, so let's look at um, what, what this is telling us here in this chapter. In verses 1 to 3, it says, The word of the Lord again came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So the first thing we see here is the word of God is an unalterable thing. The word of God is, can, cannot be changed. The word of God will not be changed. God's, God's word came to Jonah a second time. Go to, go to Nineveh, and he did. And, uh, but notice the Lord, in spite of Jonah's disobedience and, and his rebellion, the Lord never wavered from his mission. What was, God, what was the mission of, of Jonah going, doing what God called Jonah to do? To go speak the word to the Ninevites. To go speak the word that I've given you. God's mission was always... Not just that the word was going to go to Nineveh, but that Jonah was going to be the one to deliver the word. It was, it was him that God called, that God, that, that God called him. God never wavered from his mission that, that the word was going to go to Nineveh and Jonah was going to be the one to proclaim the word. See, Jonah's rebellion 
did not deter or alter God's plan. And we need to understand that our sin and our imperfections and, the, and our frailties and all the things that we look at ourselves and say, well, I'm not this and I'm not that, that doesn't disqualify us for preaching the word of God. God, God, you know, God really doesn't have a plan B. When it comes to delivering the gospel, it's us. It's his creation, and we are frail, and we're, you know, we're, we have faults, and we have failures, and we, we mess up, and we make mistakes, and we do all those things, but, but God doesn't have another plan where he says, well, I'm not going to use you. I'm going to use another way. It's us that God has called. He's called us, so, so we can't ever think that, that I'm not enough or I'm not good enough or smart enough or whatever the devil tries to tell us to deliver the word. God, God has called us to, to, to deliver the message just as he called Jonah and all of our frailties and all of our imperfections and all of our faults, God has called us. In Romans chapter 10, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, can, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Guess who that someone is? It's us. God has given us, the Bible says, the message of reconciliation. God has given us the mandate to speak the message of the gospel. The delivery system to get the gospel or to get the good news to the world, guess how God, it's the church. It's the church. And we were just talking about that with our family, and I've said this before. The answer to the world's problems is the church. It's not the government. It's not more money. That's always the government. The first thing they want to do, they want to pass a bill, they want to pass a law, and the first thing they want to do is if we just, if we just throw more money at whatever this problem is, the problem's going to get fixed. No, it doesn't. It, it only gets worse. Look at education, public education. You, I, you could probably do, do, do a graph or a chart to show how much money is being spent in public education, and I'm here to tell you it probably has not improved. Now, in some jurisdictions, in some places, in some states, it has. But overall, as a whole, money has not really been the answer. And so the government is not the answer to the world's problems. The church is. Jesus is the answer, but the church is the, is the mechanism that God is going to use to get the message out. So when I said this, I think, last week, when I pray for the world and the condition of the world, I pray that God would allow his church to rise up and begin to speak the truth of who Jesus is. Because that's the only way this world's going to change. Nothing else is going to change it except the gospel, except, except the message. So, so it says, how can they hear without someone preaching to them or telling them? How is someone going to know? They, they, we, we have to tell them. We have to share the good news that God, that God has given us. So, so notice that God did not alter his word to appease Jonah. It's like a guy could have said, well, Jonah's not happy with this. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. I'll pick someone else, and I'll pick another word. No, God, does, God doesn't do that. His message was to preach against the wickedness of Nineveh, to proclaim the Lord's holiness and sound the alarm, calling Nineveh to turn to the Lord. That was God's desire. That was his mission. That was his message that, that he was giving him so so God's word is, is, an, is an unchangeable thing. It, it cannot be altered. His word does not change to comply with our beliefs. God's word will be preached the, 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 way, the way it is. He does not, um, he, nor does he conform his word to the way we think or, the, or, or, should, or, or should live. His word can never be compromised. So, 
and y'all probably say this from this pulpit, I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of churches doing a lot of things. This church is going to preach the word of God. We're not going to compromise what the word of God says. We're not going to apologize for what the word of God says, and we're not going to water down the word of God to make it, to make it appealing to those who don't want to live by what the word of God says. We, we are called to speak and preach the truth of what the word of God says. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God, God does not change. Hallelujah. So, so God and his word uh, remain the same, and we are not called to proclaim what we want to say or hear. We are called to proclaim the gospel, that salvation is found in no one else. So, so God's message and his mission was for Jonah to go to Nineveh and speak the word. So now let's, let's look at verses 4 to 9 here. It says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, tore off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So the next thing we see here is Nineveh's response was the Lord's desire. The way Nineveh responded was God's desire all along. And notice all that Jonah did was speak the word of God. It doesn't give any indication that Jonah performed any miracles. He, he did anything. The, the Bible says that Jonah took what the word of God was and he spoke he spoke to the people, he spoke to the people of, of Nineveh, and he said that this that that this city will be destroyed in 40 days. And so, but what what did the Ninevites do? They believed God. They they didn't question God, they didn't try to make an excuse for their sin, try to say, well, you know, we didn't know any better. The Bible says that as soon as they heard the word that Jonah spoke to them, it says that they believed God. And they began to turn to God, the, the, the Bible says. And then it says they took the word to the king. And I love this part of the, of the uh, scripture here because the king could have easily just said, you know, I'm not, we're not changing, we're, just, we're, not, we're not doing anything, but he humbled himself. He, he confessed and he recognized and he agreed with what Jonah was saying, that you know what, you're right, we are wicked. We, 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 we are very wicked people. And what did he do? He called a, he called a fast. He said, no one is going to eat, eat or drink anything, and we're going we're to fall on our faces before God, and we're going to humble ourselves before God. And he said, who knows, maybe God will have compassion on us and will relent and not, not do this, this, what, what he said that he was going to do. He may, he, may, he may forgive us. And then they confessed their sin, and they repented, the Bible says. See, this, this is the response that God wants when the message is preached, that, God, that God's desire is that, that men turn from their sin and we turn back to God. God is not speaking the word of salvation to us to condemn us or to, to criticize us or to, 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 to diminish us. God is speaking that word that we might turn to him, that we might be blessed, that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven, that he might shower out and pour on us his mercy and his grace. 
That's, that's what God's desire is. So, um, but their response was so excellent that Jesus himself mentioned this story in, in, in Matthew chapter 12. It says that some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now look, look, look at this, look, look what Jesus says here. This says the religious leaders were asking for a sign, and just a side note here, and I just realized this when I was looking at this this week, um, Jesus reveals something in Matthew that was not revealed in the story of Jonah. At least I, I can't find it in the story of Jonah. Maybe scholars that study the book would see this. But Jesus revealed something that wasn't in the book of Jonah. He revealed how long it was that Jonah was in the fish. The book of Jonah doesn't say that he was in the fish for three days and three nights. But what was, Je what was, Jesus, what was the comparison that Jesus was making? It was his crucifixion. Now, Jesus said, after, after I'm crucified, I will be dead for three days and three nights, and then I will be resurrected. He was saying, that, that's the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. So I thought that was, I thought that was very interesting, the way, the way Jesus brought that out. But look what Jesus said there. Jesus said, now he's speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Now, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They, they rejected him. They rejected his teaching, all, all the things that he was saying. And Jesus said, I'm giving you a sign from Jonah. He says, the Ninevites will stand in judgment against you because when Jonah came, a, a mere man, Jonah was just a man. Jonah came and preached to Nineveh. And guess what the Ninevites did? They turned and turned to God. They believed the message of God. They repented and they turned to God. Now Jesus is saying, someone greater than Jonah is standing here before you. And they didn't realize who it was. It was God himself. God was standing there in the flesh speaking to them, and he said, now someone greater than Jonah is here. They're going to they're speak against you in judgment because you failed to, to listen to, to God himself speaking to you. That's powerful. And that's the, that's, that's, that's the message that Christ has given us. That's the, 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 the Christmas message. See, they responded in brokenness and humility. That, that's all God wants is just to confess and agree with him that, yes, I'm a sinner. I need help. That's, it's not to condemn us. It's not to ridicule us or, or any of that. God simply wants us to, to come to the realization that we need him, that we need a savior, that we need his mercy, we need his grace, we need to be, need to be forgiven. And that's what the Ninevites did. Psalms 51, um, 16 and 17 says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And I, I love this, and I tell people this all the time, that, that, you know, we think we have to do a lot of things to perform to God, to get his attention or to get him to forgive us, to get him to love us. And the Bible simply says all we have to do is to come before him with a broken and contrite heart, just to humble ourselves before God. Don't argue with him. Don't try to make an excuse. Don't try to say, just come, stand before God and say, you know what? I'm, I'm wrong, and you're right. That's really all God wants us to say, because we are wrong, and he is right, and we humble ourselves, and that's what the Ninevites, the Ninevites did. 
And um, so this is the gospel aim, that for all of us to confess our sin and turn back to the Lord. See, that's what God wants. God wants us to turn back to him. He, why? So we can have a relationship with him, that God can fellowship with us and God, and God can love us. So look at verse 10 here in Jonah. And I love this. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So the next thing we see here is God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. See, see Nineveh was wicked. They, 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 they confessed, they agreed with God that they, that they, that they were sent that they were sent for. They deserved to be punished for their sin. They, they were a wicked nation, and they agreed with that. They, their punishment, they deserved that they, they agreed to be punishment. And um, so that's, that's our society today is we want to punish the wicked. We want to punish those who are wicked. But God's desire is not to punish the wicked. It's to love the wicked and forgive them. God takes no desire in the death of the wicked. Look at Ezekiel 33, 11. It says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? That's God's cry to the world today. It's not that God wants to judge them and condemn them and kill them. The Bible says that God takes no pleasure in that. And, you know, I have to ask myself, do I take more pleasure than God does when someone evil dies? Do I rejoice more than God does when someone, because we can think of a lot of people in the world that are wicked. We can think of a lot of people, there's a lot of evil in our world today. And we can think of the most vilest, wickedest, evilest person in the world. And the Bible tells us that God takes no pleasure in their death. That's a God of mercy. That's a God of grace and mercy that, that we, we can't even comprehend that. Because that's not, that's not how we would react to someone in that, in that condition. Yet that's how God loved us and God forgave us. That, that God is desire. Even the most wickedest person in the world that, that's full of sin, that they would just turn to God. That God could just forgive them and love them and, and give them and give them a new life. See, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I, I can't stand as a Christian and look at someone in the world that's a sinner and stand in judgment. I can't judge them. The only difference between them and me is Christ. I don't deserve anything that God, it's not, God didn't say, well, I'm going to save David because David is a good person. The Bible said there's no one good, not one, no one who seeks after God. It's because of God's mercy and because of God's grace. So the call to Nineveh is the same call today that the world would just turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Just that's the beautiful message of Christmas. That's the, that's the, that's the meaning of Christmas, the, the way that, that the Ninevites responded to Jonah's message is what God wanted when he sent Jesus Christ to the earth. That man would just respond to this great invitation of God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. See, the Bible says that God did not send his son to condemn us, but to save us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Then verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, but that the world might be saved through him. Really 17, we, we quote John 3, 16, 17 is probably more, you know, urgent or, you know, 
specific to what God's saying in verse 16, that God did not send Jesus to condemn us, but to love us. That, that's the message. God is not slow in keeping his promise. People say, well, why is, why is God taking so long to send Jesus back to the earth? We should be thankful that God's taking a long time because the longer he waits, the more opportunity that gives us and our friends and our family members an opportunity to get saved. God is not slow in keeping his promise, the Bible says, but he's, he, 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 he's, he's waiting that no one should perish. That's the message. That's the beautiful story of Christmas. And, and Jonah is the essence of the, of the Christmas story that, that, that God was sending Jesus to die for us, to save us, to, to forgive us. And, and God, just as he was calling Nineveh, he's calling us, he's calling us to come home. That's the Christmas story, come home. You, we, we, you were banished from the Garden of Eden. We were, the Bible says that, but see, but God, God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he still had a love for them. He, he, he never stopped loving them. He, God never stopped loving us. Even though we were, we, we were sinners and we were separated from God, God always wanted to find a way to bring us back to the garden, to get us back into a relationship with him. How did he do that? His name is Jesus. That's the Christmas story. It's reconciliation. What, what does the Bible say? Jesus is the mediator between man and God. We needed a, we needed a way to get back to God. We, we needed a bridge. We needed a way to connect back. Jesus is the bridge. He's the way that we get back to God. That's, that's our message. That's, our, that's the call that God has given the church to speak to the world for Christmas and every time of the year that God sent his only son to die for us, that we might be forgiven, that God might, might, might give us eternal life. And so um, God, God is always calling us. And Eli, you could begin to pray that, play that music, please. Um, you know, God is always calling us. And, you know, there might be somebody in this service here this morning. Um, you might feel the tug maybe in this service as I was preaching or as we were worshiping. Um, or maybe in your life, just in general, you just feel like, I just feel like God's calling me. I can't explain it. I don't really understand what it is he's doing, but I just feel like, because you know what? God is always trying to get our attention. In every circumstance, every event, everything that happens, I believe, is, is a design of God to try to get us back to him. The good and the bad. The things I can't explain, the things I can't explain. God is always trying to get us back to himself. He's always... Why? Because he created us. He's, he's calling us back, back to himself. And God called me at the age of 16. I've heard me share my testimony. I was in a, a, a youth camp in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And I, was, I said I was serving God. I wasn't serving God. I knew I wasn't. And God, God convicted me when the, when the invitation was given. The conviction of God fell upon me. And I, I answered God's call. And I didn't know what that answer was going to lead to. I didn't know I'd be standing here before you today. But it's been a beautiful decision, best decision ever, ever made in my life. And uh, so that's really what God is, is asking all of us. Just answer this call. Just answer the call. So, so that's you um, uh, this morning. And you, you say, you know, I don't know if I've ever answered that call. We can stand to our feet, please. I can stand up. I just want to just give an invitation here. To, there's nothing to be ashamed of. We've all done this in here if you haven't made this decision to, to, to just do what the Ninevites do, just to confess that you are a sinner and that you need Jesus as your Savior. It's as simple as that. So if that's you this morning, you say, I've never, 
come to a place in my life where I've acknowledged that I need Jesus, but I know I need Him. I know He's calling me, and I want to make that decision this morning. If that's you, just step up and raise your hand. Just come join me here in the front, and let this be the best Christmas season you've ever had. But you can say Jesus changed my life this year. If that's you, just step up and raise your hand. Just come join me here in the front. I'll pray with you. Don't you love the story? We're going to conclude with the um, we're going to conclude with the story next week and the last the last message in this series. But but um, I love the story. I love the story of Jonah. It's just a beautiful. Why? Because it's a story about us. It's a story about us, and it really is truly the the Christmas story. Amen. Amen. Well, I love y'all, and don't forget to please grab some of those bags when you go dancing. Don't. I want to see the table empty when I go dancing. Take the bag with you and give it to whoever God needs in your heart to give it to. And I know the Lord is a great service here. a lot of fun. It's good to see. We're going to have a candlelight service and make a kid with a little Christmas play or whatever. We're just going to have a good time. So hallelujah. Praise God. We'll pray over you as we have this test. Lord, I just, God, we just thank you for your word, God. I just praise you, Father, that... But your word tells us, God, that you are not against us, you for us, you love us. God, I pray that you bless the people as they go, that, that you would use us as instruments to speak your beautiful message, to deliver the message of to whoever we come in contact with, Father. Just bless us as we go, Lord. In Jesus' name.